Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out by the dull routine? You want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are crouched in the middle of an immense hurricane. Houses, animals, trees sweeping past you. And you suddenly realize that you've tampered with the universe. That you're bringing about the destruction of the world. Tonight, we escape to a placid English village and the presence of an equally placid little man who one day shook the world, as H.G. Wells told it in his delightful and famous story, The Man Who Could Work Miracles. Now, I might say right in the beginning that I ain't the kind of chap who has a naturally argumentative disposition, meaning the kind who's always engaging in hostile discussions with perfect strangers. Quite the contrary. I'm a reasonable man who always takes proper thought before he speaks, and one who has due respect for scientific truth. Why, I ain't never opened my mouth to utter a word that wasn't a pure, a undiluted a fact. That's what you say. Howsoever, when a man of inferior intellect, such as Toddy Beamish has showed himself to be more than once, when a man like that insists upon airing his ridiculous opinions in a public place such as the Long Dragon Bar, then I've got no choice but to confound him with the superior knowledge which I possesses. That may be well and good, perhaps, but it's only what you say. On the contrary, Mr. Beamish, the statements which I have just made are such as might come from any intelligent human being with a true knowledge of scientific principle, which same can't be said for some of us here at this bar. So you say. That's right, so I say. And if you can't contribute nothing but the same three words to this discussion, I will thank you to admit that you are defeated and uh, shut your mouth. Well, now, Mr. Father. Easy, Gay. lads. I appeal to you, Easy Constable. Easy does it. I appeal to you, Constable, when I'm only trying to enlighten the man from the bog of ignorance he's a floundering in. And he keeps coming up with his infernal, so you say, well, I'm a wasting my words. That's all. <laughs> If the pints of stout Nile flowed across this bar the way words do, why, then I'd have been retiring years ago. Quite right, Miss Bridges. I'll have another the same, if you don't mind. Let's see, that was a pint of bitter, wasn't it? By all rights, Toddy Beamish, I shouldn't be wasting me time on you. But out of the goodness of my heart, I'll do it anyhow. Suit yourself. There you are. Now... Let's take, for example, that pint of ale that you're holding in your hand. It's pretty nigh empty. Well, I paid for the last one. All right. Now, suppose, for instance, if that ale was to turn into wine. I never cared much for wine. I was like Dale back Now, if that ale there was to turn into wine, then you'd have a miracle. So you say. So anybody says. Perhaps you ain't even aware of the proper definition of what a miracle is, Mr. Beamish. Well, some miracles is one kind and some is another. Oh, if anybody left so much as tuppence on the bar as a gratuity for my services, that would be a miracle, all right. Be that as it may, Miss Bridges, but a miracle ain't of one kind or another. A true miracle is something contrarywise to the course of nature, done by the power of will. So you say. Something what couldn't happen without being specially willed to happen. And miracles ain't possible. Easy, lad, easy now. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say they ain't. It's your ignorance that's talking. Look, you see that lamp sitting there on the end of the bar, burning as bright as you please? I see it right enough. Now, that lamp in the natural course of nature couldn't burn like that if it was turned upside down and hanging in the air. You say it couldn't. <laughs> Mr. Beamish, do you mean to tell me that you... All right, all right. Maybe it couldn't. Ah, and if it did, it'd be a miracle. Very well. Now, 
Supposing somebody was to come along, uh, uh, take me, for instance, and he pointed his finger at that lamp like this and said, Turn upside down. Now, if the lamp... If, if, it's, Science it's, preserve us if it aren't doing it. Well, now. Blimey. A burning and a hanging there, the visible means of support. I can't keep it up there much longer. Remarkable. All a remarkable. And now then, Mr. Fotheringay, stop it. Stop it immediately, and that's my official order. Have a care, Constable. Watch out. There it goes. <laughs> oh, now see what you've done, Mr. Fotheringay. My best lamp chimney. Oh, clean no more than an hour ago. Smashed in his smithereens. But I didn't try to do it. Oh, for all you knew, you might have caught the whole place afire. Most irregular and illegal besides, <sighs> like is not. We'll have no more of it, you understand? But I tell you, I didn't oh, mean Oh, you for and it. your silly conjuring tricks. It wasn't a conjuring trick. Ah, ah that's what you said. No doubt you've had a bit too much to drink. My all I've done was to point my finger at it like that and... Stop it now! Don't you dare. But that's all I've done. In that case, Mr. Father and Gay, you defeat your own argument right out of your own mouth. And how is that, might I ask? If it weren't caused by some form of trickery, then what happened to that lamp was a miracle. Oh, here now, I ain't holding with no blooming miracles. Hold with them or not, as the case might be, Mr. Father and Gay. But you just stood right there and performed a real, true, honest, genuine miracle. That's what you done. It wasn't a matter of being asked to leave the Long Dragon, you understand. I already had my mind set on going anyhow. A place what's full of ignorant superstition ain't the kind of place for a man of rational intellect to be doing his thinking in. And thinking was just what was called for. On the one hand, I weren't ready to swallow no miracle theory, but on the other hand, I wasn't able to recollect no scientific a principle what might account for that which had happened. As you might say, uh, the question had dissolved itself into a uh, dilemma. Oh, my landlady, Mrs. Tetherington, was sitting up in the parlour when I come in. Good evening, Mr. Fotheringay. But I can't recall saying anything to her. Well, very well, Mr. Fotheringay. Ah, I went straight to my own room, closed my door, lit the candle, and then I sat there on the edge of my bed, grappling with the problem in heroic fashion and trying to puzzle out the ultimate solution. It weren't no easy thing to do. It couldn't have happened, but it had happened. Which ain't logic, no matter how you look at it. Why, it'd be the same situation if I was to point my finger at that candle there and say, be raised up in the air. And it was to... Ooh, me, Hanging there like a blooming firefly. But it's contrary-wise to the... Whoop, there it goes. Oh, black as your hat. Now, where in the tarnation did that confounded thing get to? Huh? At any rate, there should be some matches around here somewhere. Uh, oh, I say, maybe I could... <gasps> Let there be a match in me hand. Well, now, just like that. Oh, a safety match. A lot of blooming good that's going to... Oh, 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 oh. Oh, 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 half a mo, half a mo now. Maybe I, I don't need no match. Maybe I could. Candle, wherever you are, be lighted. Oh, here now, not in the middle of my bed. Oh, no, we'll not be having any of that now. Well, come in, it ain't locked. Mr. Fotheringay, might I inquire what's coming off up here? You might inquire and to blazes with you. Can't you recognise a man who's got his hands full of troubles? Troubles, indeed. I'll have you understand. <gasps> Mr. Fotheringay, why is smoke coming out of that bed? Because it caught on fire, that's why. Oh, me won't comfort her with a nowel band in it and taking lighted candles to bed with you. I am not taking no candles anywhere and I will thank you to leave me the privacy of my own bedchamber. Well, I never... You have been drinking. On the contrary, I have been cogitating upon matters of science, which is far beyond the range of your feeble intellect. With all the money I have to spend on candles. 
I'll have you know that if any candles are going to be tossed around loose like in this house, I'll do the tossing. Mrs. Tetherington, I might remind you that good, steady lodgers, such as a man like myself, ain't so easy to come by nowadays. With which I will bill you a highly a respectable a good a night. Well, I've never been so insulted in all my life. And you can rest assured you haven't heard the last of this. <laughs> Old vulture. Don't know who she's talking to. Me. A bloke what's only got to point his finger and say, B. And it is. Blimey. If I ain't suddenly got the power to perform... Miracles. Real, genuine miracles. Like as not, the result of my long devotion to the true principles of science. Well, I got through the next day without no trouble, and come evening I went walking down the lane that leads around Millsdale's Pond, attempting to put my mental processes into order, as you might say. Mostly, I kept trying to cogitate on some Honest Betsy miracle I might up and perform. But it ain't such an easy matter for a chap who's unaccustomed to goings-on of that nature. Oh, what I wanted was the genuine article, you understand. No little shenanigans, but one with which to make people stop and say, Blimey now, if that ain't a real darn right miracle for you. And all of a sudden, I had it. I just happened to recollect a chap somewhere who stuck his staff into the ground and commanded it to blossom. So, I poked me walking stick into the edge of the turf, I backed off a wee bit and pointed me finger at it. Walking stick, become a blooming bush of flowering posies. <laughs> Roses, by heaven. I done it! Just like that fella in the hopper. Anna, what's going on here? Oh, Constable Winch, confound the man anyhow. Cease and desist whatever it is you're doing in the name of the crowd. Oh, you there, Rosebush. Go back now, fast. Have a mind there who it is you're throwing bramble bushes at. Blasted thorns right into the man severely. Yeah, there. Oh, confounded, blundering idiot. I'll see now who's conducting nefarious activities under the cover of darkness. Assaulting an officer engaged in the pursuit of his natural... Di well, so it's you, Mr. Fotheringay. The fact being self-evident, Mr. Winch, I will not bother myself to answer. So you'll not bother yourself to answer, eh? Maybe you'll also deny that you just threw a great heavy mass of foliage at me? I do deny it. There no doubt it just up and flew through the air all by itself. Constable Winch, you have just hit the nail on the head. So, that's the way the wind blows. Some more of them blasted hanky-pank conjuring tricks of yours, is that it? On the contrary, it was merely a small miracle. You don't say so. In which case, his honour might enjoy hearing you tell about it. So come along with you now. I will do nothing of the kind. Oh, resisting an officer. That'll be another charge against you. Charge, indeed. Mr. Witch, you can take your charges and... and... go to Hades. Whoa, oh, uh, Constable. Oh, Mr. Winch. Oh, blimey if he ain't gone and disappeared complete-like. Oh, I wonder if he... Ooh. I'm thinking this miracle business ain't all it's talked up to be. Why, a man might find himself in a whole peck of trouble before he learns the knack of the thing. I'm thinking I'd best go and get myself some really professional advice right away. Hmm. Good evening to you, brother. A very pleasant evening to and you. And the same to you with many of them, Mr. Maydig. Uh, that is, your reverence. Oh, no, no formality now, none at all, no. Just call me Mr. Maydig. Well, now, uh, thank you kindly, your uh, Maydig uh, ship. Uh, won't you step inside? <clears throat> Much obliged to you, uh, Mr. Reverend ship. Uh, just follow me now. This way, Mr. Uh... Oh, I can't say that I caught the name. Uh, Fotheringay. Uh, George a W. Fotheringay. Oh, yes. Uh, not from my parish. Well, uh, yes. I attended services last Christmas. Indeed? 
Well, so many people did <clears throat> last Christmas. Well, here we are, Mr. Bothering Bay. Yeah, take a chair. Uh, it's uh, Fothering Bay. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, nice uh, diggings you've got here. Oh, adequate, Mr. Mothering Way. Adequate for my simple wants. Yeah, now. Now just feel entirely free to lay your burdens upon my shoulders. Well, the fact is, <clears throat> the matter which I've come here to talk about uh, might be considered of a somewhat uh, uh, <clears throat> delicate nature. Oh? Oh, well, think nothing of it. Uh, please, feel free to speak. Uh, well, speak freely. My housekeeper retires very early. Oh, oh no, uh, Your Reverendship. It's uh, nothing like that. Oh. Then, uh, like, uh, what? The uh, subject about which I'm inquiring is uh, miracles. Miracles? Oh, yes, yes, indeed, uh, miracles. Um, any special kind of miracles? Oh, yes. The kind which I perform myself. Oh, which you perform your... Uh, I see. And uh, what sort of miracles do you perform? Well, uh, for one thing, I have just finished sending Constable Winch to Hades. Hades? Hmm, indeed. Oh, that's uh, very interesting. Oh, of course, when I realised what had happened, I had him transferred to San Francisco. Uh, wherever that is. Oh, I'm sure, sure he'll like San Francisco much better. Uh, you, you don't believe me. I can't say that I blame you none either. Well, after all, Mr. Dothering Lay... It's uh, fathering guy. Well, very well. There ain't nothing else to do but for me to go up and perform a few miracles before we go any farther. Well, that's uh, very interesting, I'm sure. Now, you just take that jar of tobacco there on the table, for instance. Suppose I just point my finger at it, like this, and... Become a bowl of violets. Yes, indeed, it's very interesting. You see, it ain't no tobacco jar no more. It's a bowl of violets. Well, gobbly... I mean, uh, so it is. Of course, it ain't nothing very spectacular, Your Reverendship, but it is the sort of a miracle a man can pass without uh, tangling himself up in a mass of trouble. Extraordinary. Very... Well, uh, extraordinary. Uh, you can see for yourself they're real violets. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, uh, take this, for example. Become a bowl of fish. Ooh. Ooh. No, not that kind. Live fish in a goldfish bowl, swimming around. Now. Well, uh, that's better. It's amazing. Uh, how did you do it? Just told it to. Uh, that's... That's all? That's all. When I tells a thing to do it, it does it. Incredible. It come on me sudden, like you might say. And I'd like to know if it's a real genuine miracle or if it ain't. Well, uh... Seeing as uh, our miracles ought to come under your reverendship's special province, more or less. Yes, 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 indeed. Uh, however, usually in a somewhat more academic fashion, these are more, well, more astonishing. As far as I can tell, there ain't no limit to it. Like, for instance, a uh, bowl of fish turn into a pigeon. Oh, good heavens, look at the thing. Uh, here, here now, none of that. Oh, you stay away from Mr. Maydig now. Perhaps I'd better um, become that jar of tobacco again. Uh, well, Reverend, what do you think about it? Amazing. It's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in my life. Ever expected to see? No, 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 I've got to think about it, uh, consider the possibilities. Well, I uh, might come back in the morning. Oh, no, 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 wouldn't hear of it. I, I was about to dine when you rang. I wonder if you'd join me. Uh, of course, I'm afraid there's only cold mutton. Oh, well, now, maybe there's something else you might like better. Oh, anything, frankly. I've grown to hate the sight of... Co eh? You don't mean... Why not? Just name it. Pheasant. I haven't tasted pheasant in years. Then now is the time. Let there be a pheasant on the table. No, 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 no. no. Not, not, like, not like that. Let it be dead and roasted and ready to eat. Look, look at it. Oh, it's beautiful. Mmm, smells good too. Maybe we'd best, uh, 
Let there be two pheasants. And truffles. Yeah, and truffles. And maybe some oysters. Two dozen oysters. Uh, you better make it three dozen. And some cheddar. Oh, we must have some cheddar. Yeah, a pound of cheddar. And, and what to drink, your reverend? Oh, uh, champagne? Well, I really shouldn't, you know, but, uh, well, uh, perhaps a small bottle of Moselle? <laughs> Six hmm? bottles of Moselle, a keg of stout, and a case of champagne. <laughs> There wasn't no mistake about it. I'd come to the right place for certain. Once Mr. Matey got over his first astonishment, he turned out full of ideas for brand new miracles. Things even I might never have thought of, like as not. Well, we polished off that meal in no time at all. As easy as a cat frying eggs. And an hour later, we was out walking in the dark streets of the village, turning out miraculous jobs so fast, I fairly wore out my finger a-pointing with it. I couldn't begin to tell you all the wonderful things we did in a couple of hours. Installed a new railway line, drained Flinders Swamp, turned it into a meadow, cured the vicar's warts, paved all the roads, eliminated, eliminated taxation, reformed the Lord Mayor, and made all the girls in the village Beautiful. Ah, oh, these weren't none of your apney miracles. All of these were big. And we went right on turning them out, one every two minutes, just as regular as clockwork. By midnight, we passed clean through the village and were walking along the lane by Millsdale's Pond, fairly tired out by all that thinking and pointing and performing of miracles. Mr. Fotheringay, I've just thought of another one. Indeed, and what might it be? Uh, the village clock. There, there in the steeple. Listen, listen to it. Ah, it's terrible. True enough. It ain't got a very melodious sound to it. Then let's give them a good clock. Eh? A great, <laughs> rich, booming one. All right, Mr. Maiden. Let that there clock become a genuine London-style cathedral clock. <laughs> Much better, much better. Oh, the, the people of this village are going to have a big surprise when they wake up in the morning after all we've done for them tonight. I might say there's one or two things we've done that I ain't so sure about. Oh? Like uh, <clears throat> turning every drop of alcoholic beverages into plain water, for instance. Oh, it's nothing to worry about, Mr. Fotheringay. You can always turn out a miraculous pint or two for your own purposes. And, and it will reform all the drunkards in the village. Maybe so. At any rate, we might as well wait and see what comes of it. Uh, well, uh, what do we perform next? I really don't know. Can't think of another single miracle that we haven't already... Oh, half a moment, Mr. Oh. Maydig. I just thought of one of my own I'd best take care of. Let Constable Winch be right back in San Francisco again. He might be catching a boat or a train or something, you understand? I think the best idea is just to keep sending him back there every once in a while. <laughs> I doubt you have any, anything to worry about. San Francisco is some distance away, you know. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I, I keep trying to think of one more miracle. A big one. Something worthy of ending the night with. Uh, but I just don't... Oh, well now. Hmm? I see. There is one, you know. Such as? Uh, you see that moon, Mr. Fotheringay? Uh, naturally. Almost full, by the looks of it. You remember Joshua? 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 Oh, come off it now. It would be a wondrous thing to see. Well, now, that's a pretty tall order, making the moon stand still. Oh, well, actually, it only appears to stand still. What really happens is that the Earth stops rotating. You don't have to inform me about scientific principles of which I'm already familiar, Mr. Maydig. Howsoever, I think we'd best not go monkeying around with the universe. Well, you probably don't have the power to do it anyway. It's really a superior class of miracle, you know. I got the power all right, but I ain't so sure it's a good idea. I could do it if I wanted to. Oh, oh, of course, of course you could. Well, perhaps we'd better get along home. Mm, uh, half a mo now. I, uh, I, 
I might just leave it stopped for a little while. Oh, if you could stop it at all. Oh, well now, if that's the way you feel, you just take a look at this. The old blinking world. Stop rotating. Oh, here now. What's all this? I didn't order no wind. Fotheringay, what have you done? <laughs> I don't rightly know. Look out. Things is starting to blow loose. Oh, you confounded, blundering idiot. Duck your head. Here comes a cow through the air. <coughs> Mist. Mm. You better lie down in the ditch before it gets blowed away. Oh, it's getting worse all the time. Well, I can't see to pull me wits together. Oh, I've got it. When the earth stopped rotating, everything on the surface kept right on moving. Five, six hundred miles an hour. Houses, cows, the wind, everything. It's a scientific principle. A lot of good that does. Stop it, man. Stop it. Do something. Do what? Oh, Mr. Maidig. Oh, Mr. Maidig. Oh, blimey, if he ain't blown clean away. Go on. Oh, now I got myself in a fine kettle of fish for certain. Only there weren't so much confusion. Maybe I could... Oh, oh, I say now. That's it. It's the only answer. All right, now. Let nothing happen until I say the word go. And when I do, let everything go back exactly like it was just before I turned that blooming lamp upside down in the Long Dragon Bar. And at the same time, let me lose this here miraculous power complete like. Forget all about it. Have you got it now? Everything just as it were. No more miracles. And let me forget the old thing. All right, then. Ready? Go! That's only what you say. And the same as anybody might say who's got the least bit of scientific knowledge inside of their thick heads. Ain't I right, Constable Winch? You couldn't rightly say, Mr. Fotheringay. The subject ain't exactly in my province, you know. Another of the same, Miss Bridges. Right you are, Constable. Irregardless, Mr. Beamish, miracles ain't possible. So you say. So I say. Maybe you don't even know what a miracle is. Here we are. Maybe if I was to point my finger at that lamp there on the bar and tell it to turn upside down, I suppose you think it might do it. Well, I wouldn't say it wouldn't. You wouldn't say it wouldn't. Mr. <laughs> Beamish, you ain't got a brain in your head. And I'm only wasting my time trying to enlighten you, which I ain't going to do any longer. There you are, Miss Bridges. Why, thank you kindly, Mr. Father and Guy. I'll be dropping in again when the place ain't quite so crowded. I bid you all a respectful, a good, a night. <laughs> well, Tony, I'd say you got the best of the argument tonight. I never saw him, Glory sir. be, will you take a look at this? Oh, what's up, Miss Bridges? Sixpence. He left me a sixpence. Right here on the bar, big as anything. And so he did. Uh, the like of it ain't never happened before. Science preserve us if he died a downright blooming miracle. That's what it is. A blooming miracle. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight we have brought you The Man Who Could Work Miracles by H.G. Wells, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Featured in tonight's story was Ben Wright as Mr. Fotheringay, with John Daner as Mr. Maydig, Wilms Herbert as Totty Beamish, and Jeff Corey as Constable Winch. Eleanor Audley was Mrs. Tetherington, and Constance Cavendish was Bridges. Special music by Ivan Dittmars. With tonight's program, we bring to a close the present series of the world's best stories of high adventure by the world's greatest authors, presented as Escape. Next week, at this time, Lum and Abner return to the air in a new half-hour program you'll want to hear. Be sure to listen. Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Fed up with the everyday grind. Tired out by the dull routine. Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are speeding through the English countryside. The fast express train rocking beneath your feet. And you know that somewhere in the dark ahead of you, a band of men are plotting the destruction of the train, are planning the moment of your death. We escape to England at the turn of the century and the story of a complete train that vanished from the face of the earth. As Sir Arthur Conan Doyle told it in his fascinating tale, The Lost Special. Twenty years with Scotland Yard have brought me into contact with many weird and unusual events in human affairs. But none more strange than the occurrences which began on the afternoon of June the 3rd, 1890, in the railway station at Liverpool. On no case before had I ever felt myself so helpless, groping blindly, as it were, for an unseen adversary, not being certain of the nature of the crime, not even knowing, in fact, if it were a crime. Suffice to say that along a short stretch of railway line in western England, I learned what is truly meant by... Terror of the Unknown. At four o'clock of the afternoon in question, having completed a rather minor investigation which had brought me to Liverpool, I was sitting in the waiting room of the railway station reading and waiting for the six o'clock train for London, entirely unaware at that moment of a rather ordinary conversation that was taking place in the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master, a few yards away. I'm very happy to know you, Mr. Carrotel, and you, Mr. Gomez. And now, if I might learn the nature of your wishes? Simply this, Mr. Bland. My companion and I have arrived on the steamer from Central America, which docked less than an hour ago. It is of the utmost importance that we reach London as quickly as possible in order to arrange passage across the Channel to France. I see. Well, it's unfortunate you missed the three o'clock train, Mr. Carrotel. However, there'll be a limited leaving at six that will put you in London... That is not soon enough, Mr. Bland. I cannot stress too highly the importance of my reaching Paris at the earliest possible moment. I can understand that, but there simply isn't any other train in Quite six. so, quite so. I am informed, however, that it is possible to charter a special train upon occasion. A special? Yes, it's possible. Rather expensive, though. The cost is not important, Mr. Bland. How soon can the arrangements be made? Well, uh, 
Mr. Hood, do we have an engine available? Yes, sir. Number 247 is on the north siding under emergency steam. Good. Very well, Mr. Carrotel. It's 4.08 now. We can roll a special out of here at 4.30. The charge is 55 pounds. Gomez, you will pay Mr. Bland 55 pounds. Uh, who is on the standby crew, Mr. Hood? Let's see. Uh, John Slater is engineer, McPherson guard, Smith fireman. Call them at once. Have them carry two standard coaches behind the engine and telegraph the station master at St. Helens to hold the local on siding there until the special goes through. Make sure the line is clear as far as Manchester. Yes, sir. I'll send for a porter to take care of your briefcase, Mr. Carrotel. Seems to be rather heavy. Thank you, no. I prefer to keep it with me, if you don't mind. Certainly, whatever you wish. Now, if you leave here at 4.30, you should be in Manchester at quarter till six. The station master there will clear you on to London. And I trust you'll have a very pleasant journey. As I say, I was not aware of these events until a while later and would have placed no significance on them in any case. At 4.31, the special train with its two passengers and three crew members pulled out of Liverpool Station and headed for Manchester. And at ten minutes to six, I was summoned to the office of Mr. James Bland, the station master. And so that seems to be it. Very likely I have no real reason at all to be worried, Inspector Collins. But since I saw you below there in the station, I thought it wise to call you in on it. Well, I'm happy to be of any help, Mr. Bland. Uh, yes, as I understand it, your special train is running behind schedule, is that it? Incredibly behind schedule. Uh -huh. It's nearly half an hour overdue at Manchester right now. We've wired them to check and report back. Well, it isn't exactly unheard of for a train to run slow, Mr. Bland. It is, unless there's some reason, and I can't think of one in this case. The special had clear track all the way. It passed through St. Helens at 4.52, right on time. Uh -huh. They wired us, and then 15 minutes later released the local to follow along behind it into Manchester. Uh, you mentioned something about Mr. Carrotel having a companion, I believe. Huh? Yes, a great hulking brute named Gomez. He didn't utter a word while they were here. Seemed to be a sort of bodyguard. Carrotel himself was small and stooped with a swarthy complexion, possibly a Latin American. Uh, and you got the impression that he was carrying something rather valuable in his briefcase, huh? Yes, he wouldn't let it out of his hands. And he seemed to be in great fear of something, though I haven't any idea what it may have been. Oh, what about this second chap, Horace Moore? Uh, typically English, about 40 years old, seemed very anxious to reach his sick wife in London. Oh. Here's Manchester on the wire now, Mr. Bland. Oh, uh, good. What are they... Uh... Well, just a moment. Uh, well, here's a message. Assume change in your original plan. Local from St. Helens arrived, Manchester... Reports no sign of special train. Oh, but that's impossible. St. Helens reported the special through ahead of the local. Well, is there a branch line between St. Helens and Manchester, Mr. Bland? No, not even a double track. There's only a single track main line straight through. Sidings, of course, at the local stations for loading purposes. But, uh, Mr. Hood... Yes, sir? Check every local operator from St. Helens on. We've got to get to the bottom of this. I can't understand it, Inspector Collins. A locomotive and two coaches can't simply... Well, it's utterly impossible. It, it can't have just disappeared. In a few moments, the answers began coming in over the wire. The first was from St. Helens. Repeating our previous message, a special train passed here at 4.52, local departed 15 minutes later. Then from Collins Green. Special passed here at 5 o'clock, followed by local train 17 minutes later. And then Earlstown. Special passed here at 5.06, followed by local 18 minutes later. Newton. Special passed here at 5.12, local train 17 minutes later. At Kenyon Junction. Special through here at 5.20, local passed 19 minutes minutes later. And then Barton Moss. Local through at 5.53. No special train passed here today. I tell you it's absolutely unprecedented, Inspector Collins. An entire train and five human beings vanishing from an open track between two local stations only eight miles apart. It's impossible. There's the only thing to the contrary being the fact that it has apparently happened. But I can't understand it. Mr. Bland, I think you'd better make arrangements to get us out to Kenyon Junction as quickly as possible. <laughs> Within ten minutes, we were in a coach behind a goods engine moving at full throttle on the main line east out of Liverpool. Since the missing special had been reported safely through Kenyon Junction, there was no need for concern with the country this side of that station. 
While the coach rattled and banged along the miles, we spent the time poring over a large-scale map of that eight-mile stretch between the junction and Barton Moss. As you can see for yourself on the map, Inspector Collins, it's rather open country through there. Yeah. Low rolling hills, mostly, with quite a lot of coal mining and one steel mill. Uh-huh. No towns or villages near the railway line. Yes, yeah, so I see, Mr. Blander. What about these spur tracks that join the main line? There must be a dozen or more of them. Fourteen, to be exact. Uh, isn't it possible the special could have been switched onto one of those spurs? Well, yes and no. Eight of them can be eliminated immediately. Besides being narrow-gauge tracks, they're also much too flimsy to bear the weight of a standard locomotive. Furthermore, they end at loading bins adjacent to the main line. They're, they're not actually connected to it. I see. Well, that still leaves six. Are they all standard gauge? Yes, but three of those six can be eliminated too, since they've been abandoned for years. The mines they were built for are no longer operated. The Red Gauntlet, Despond, and Hartsey's collieries. Yes, but abandoned or not, if the tracks are still there, couldn't they be used? No, to... no, they could not. When service to the three mines was discontinued years ago, the switches, along with several hundred yards of track adjacent to the main line, were removed to prevent accidents. And that settles that. But we still have three lines left. Yes, and all in operation. They serve the Big Ben and Perseverance collieries and the Carnstock Ironworks. Good. Then there's the probable area of our investigation. Probable? Inspector, I fail to see anything probable about a train scheduled from Manchester turning up in a dead-end siding. Well, for many years now, Mr. Bland, I've been approaching problems of this sort with a certain theory of logic. Once both the obvious and the impossible are eliminated, and we seem to agree on those, then the solution must lie in the realm of the improbable, no matter how fantastic it may at first seem. I can't believe it. Why wouldn't the train crew report in? What about Mr. Carroll's anxiety to get to London? Why wouldn't hey, wait, he have... Hey, wait, wait. We're slowing down, aren't we? That's right, sir. We're pulling into Kenyon Junction. Mm-hmm. This is the last station to report seeing the last special. Very well, gentlemen. This is where we start to work. We stopped in the junction only long enough to rig acetylene spot lanterns at either side of the coach directed in such fashion as to light up the roadbed and embankment along both sides of the track. And then we puffed slowly out onto the main line and headed towards Barton Moss, eight miles away. The first mile of those eight dropped behind us and brought no significant discovery, and we moved on through the second mile. Save for the flood of light from our lanterns and the dull red glow from the firebox at the engine, the night was as black as pitch. Now and again... The ugly shape of a loading bin for one of the narrow-gauge feeder lines would loom out of the darkness ahead of us and float past, ghostly for a moment in our lights, and then dissolve away behind us into the blackness. But on the roadbed, the rails themselves remained unmarred, undisturbed, and offered not the slightest clue to explain a disappearance that grew more mysterious by the minute. We completed the second mile and moved on, and then suddenly... What is it, Inspector? What do you see? Uh, Stop the engine at once, Mr. Hood. Yes, sir. What is it, Inspector? I think I've seen something. I don't see a thing, Inspector. It's just off the embankment there, the edge of the bushes. Uh, We'll need a hand light. Uh, Here you are, sir. Good. All right, come on now. Let's have a look. By heaven, there there is something right enough. I I see now. Well, it looks like a man lying there. It's more likely the body of a man from the position he's in. Well, now, lad. Let's turn you over and have a glimpse at your face. What? Inspector. This is John Slater. Ah? And who is John Slater? He was the engineer on the special. Well, he's dead. His neck's broken. Dead? I'll venture a quick guess it was caused by a fall from the cab of his engine. Travelling rather fast at the time, I'd say. You can see where he rolled through the bushes for some little distance there. Hmm? Yeah, but, but then uh, what happened to the locomotive, Inspector? Uh, afterward, I mean. Well, that still remains to be seen, Mr. Hood. We can be fairly certain of one thing, though. A special must have come at least this far out of the junction. Otherwise, it's pretty difficult to account for the engineer's body being here. No more difficult, surely, than it is to account for any of this. This whole thing is incredible. Impossible. Well, we still have our improbabilities, Mr. Bland. Those three connected spur lines are ahead of us yet, and the chances are one of them is going to supply some kind of an answer. By midnight, I'd completed a thorough check of the three lines. 
The first one, to the Big Ben colliery, ran a mile and a half back into the hills and ended against the face of a huge pile of coal. Not large enough, however, to cover a locomotive and two coaches. I made certain of that. The line to the Perseverance colliery was hardly more than a half mile long. It had been blocked all day, and it was still blocked by a string of loaded ore cars, and ended beyond them against the open rock face of a quarry. And the last line, running to the Carnstock Ironworks, was a double track, and had been left open all day. However, a sleepy superintendent informed me that over 200 repairmen had been busy on the roadbed until well after dusk, and it was impossible to imagine a non-scheduled train passing through such a horde of witnesses unnoticed. Oh, shortly after midnight, dog-tired, we walked into Barton Moss Station, still without the slightest explanation of the mystery. I want to send a wire through to Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm prepared to postpone further investigation... Investigation? Until daylight. Yes, sir? No, sign it, Collins. Uh, can you get that off right away? Right away, sir. <sighs> Peaceful English countryside in a dead engine driver. You speaking to me, sir? Hmm? Yeah, no, no. It is strange, though. Strange, sir? In broad daylight... A 40-ton locomotive with two carriages and four passengers has vanished from the face of the earth. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first, ten great shows come to you every Sunday night on CBS and right and bright in the middle is America's number one comedy, The Jack Benny Show. Tomorrow night, Jack will take his place on CBS All-Star Night with a cast that's made the Jack Benny Show a welcome visitor in millions of American homes. Yes, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Helen Hayes, Eve Arden, and all the other great stars come to you over most of these same stations in CBS's ten great shows on Sunday nights. And now, with our star, Ben Wright, we return to the second act of Escape and... The Lost Special. By the next morning, of course, the story was out and the daily papers went to work on it. But fortunately for Scotland Yard, the main attention of the press was directed at the moment toward the international scandal, which had been brewing for a week or two among high financial circles in France. As it was, however, letters to the editor in the morning post gave us quite a rough go of it. Oh, with all manner of crack suggestions. It seems suggestion. difficult to believe that the worthy operators of Scotland Yard have overlooked the one obvious explanation as to the whereabouts of the missing train. May I advise them that some two miles from Barton Moss, the railroad line crosses the West Branch Canal. Unquestionably, the special leapt from the bridge and lies now in the muddy water. This whole affair is obviously the work of some subversive organization. And until the culprits are brought in to face their just deserts, no man, woman or child in England can be considered safe. Now, Surely my advice we are the witnessing the fulfilment of ancient prophecies. The forces of evil grow bolder and begin now to invade the earth openly. There is no doubt but what that strange man, Keratol, was really the devil in disguise. And it is Our high time... Our first action this morning is to gaze quickly across the city toward Westminster Abbey. Considering the recently demonstrated inefficiency of Scotland Yard and the Manchester-Liverpool railway affair... It's quite possible the Abbey may be spirited away some night soon. A week passed, and then two weeks. We scoured the whole western countryside, following up every lead, tracking down each rumour, and we got nowhere. Three weeks, four, and then the press began to ignore the matter. Two months went by, nothing new. Three months, and the activity of Scotland Yard in the matter had come to a standstill. The reason was simple enough. We had no idea what else to do. So the records were finally taken from the active file and marked, case still open and unsolved. Even though I worked on other assignments, my mind kept turning continually back to the case of the lost special. I tried to think of some avenue left untried, some path overlooked. And I could think of nothing. I reviewed all of the improbabilities I'd tested and disproved, and I tried to... Improbabilities. Suddenly a fallacy in my own logic began to dawn on me. Arbitrarily, I had called certain explanations impossible, 
and touched them only lightly in my investigation. And yet, what could really be classed as impossible in a case which itself was utterly impossible? Back down to Barton Moss again, and then ten days of painstaking work. At the end of those ten days, I was certain that I'd found at least the essentials of the answer. And I was equally certain that I could never prove it. I could see only one bare chance, a desperate chance against long odds. I laid my plan before the chief inspector, and then Scotland Yard went into action. The London Times, 21st November, 1890. Rumours are circulating that a man named Dalton, arriving in Liverpool on the steamer Vistula tomorrow, may hold the key to the long-standing Manchester railway mystery. According to reliable sources, Mr. Dalton possesses recently discovered copies of the documents which were carried in the briefcase of the ill-fated Mr. Caratol. It is further stated that Scotland Yard is arranging to meet Mr. Dalton at the Liverpool Pier and rush him forthwith to London. The next afternoon, accompanied by Mr. Dalton, I walked into the office of Mr. James Bland, station master at Liverpool, and chartered a special train for London. We shall have the train ready for you to leave in ten minutes, Inspector Collins. Uh, good. I'm most anxious to get Mr. Dalton and his briefcase to London as quickly as possible. Yes, I saw the squib in yesterday's paper, and I was afraid then you'd be wanting a special train arranged. I'm still worried about it, as a matter of fact. Oh, I hardly think there's any need to be. You've run a good many specials up to Manchester since that affair six months ago, and you've uh, never lost another one now, have you? No, but I'll confess I've shaken in my boots every time I've watched one of them pull out of here. I say now... You're going to have me jumping at my own shadow. Oh, oh, don't worry, Mr. Dalton. I'll have you in London before you know it. And none the worse for the trip. Nevertheless, Inspector, you'll have to admit the situation today is very much like the one six months ago. Oh, yes, in some ways. The mysterious stranger arriving by steamer from South America and in urgent haste to reach London. The carefully watched briefcase, which, according to rumour, contains the very same sort of material Mr. Carrotel was carrying. But there is one difference. Mr. Dalton is being accompanied by an agent from Scotland Yard. Yes, but Mr. Carrotel also had a guard, that chap Gomez. And both of them disappeared. Oh, come now. Surely you don't think that anything so fantastic could possibly... Oh, no, he's right, Mr. Dalton. It did happen once, and a number of the elements are similar. Well, Mr. Bland, I'll, I'll wire you as soon as we reach Manchester. Hardly necessary, Inspector. I, uh, I think I shall go along with you. What well, good. But if you're looking forward to excitement, I can't promise it. No, it will probably be a very ordinary trip. But if I stayed here, I'd be a nervous wreck by the time you reached Manchester. Well, then come along by all means. Mr. Dalton and I will enjoy your company. Your train has just pulled up the platform, gentlemen. Good. Well, gentlemen, we, uh, we can't keep the fates waiting, huh? Let's get aboard. Well, it's certainly been an uneventful journey so far. Why, well, I hardly expected anything to happen this side of Kenyon Junction. And it's right ahead of us, then. Inspector Collins, do you mean you are expecting something to happen on the other side of it? Oh, yes, yes, that's the whole purpose of the trip. I don't believe I follow you. Yes, I, I imagine it is about time that you were brought in on this, Mr. Bland. I, I didn't want to take any chances by discussing it before we were well along towards the um, uh, danger area. We're passing through Kenyon Junction, Inspector. Good. Uh, oh, uh, Mr. Dalton there is a Scotland Yard agent, by the way, Mr. Bland. Oh? And all he's carrying in that mysterious briefcase is uh, half a dozen ham sandwiches. I, uh, I think I should welcome some sort of explanation, Inspector Collins. Yes, uh, do you ever hear of the old trick an archer uses when he loses an arrow? He shoots another in the same general direction, follows it, and sometimes he finds both of them. Well... This train and all of us aboard it constitute the second arrow, Mr. Bland. Do you mean you're expecting this train to vanish like the other? Why, you're deliberately risking our lives. Oh, the risk is not quite so great as you may imagine. But what makes you believe the attempt will be repeated? I've created as nearly as possible the same set of conditions that led to the first disappearance. If I'm right about the motivation, the parties concerned can hardly afford not to repeat. What motivation? I fail to see one. Well, it requires a bit of assuming, Mr. Bland, but the assumptions seem to fit the facts as well as the method used. Mm -hmm. uh, let's take some of those facts. Mr. Caratol was in a frantic hurry to reach Paris. His briefcase apparently contained something of great value. He was afraid an attempt would be made to prevent his reaching Paris. Yes. In Paris at that time, a huge financial scandal was brewing, which later came to nothing because of lack of evidence. 
The scandal involved illegal land operations in Central America. And Mr. Caratol had just arrived from Central America with his briefcase. Even so, yeah, And I... finally, it must require a good deal of money to bring about the disappearance of a locomotive and coaches, whereas ordinary criminals rarely have a good deal of money. Now, do you follow me? Yes. Yes, of course. If all that's true, then the idea was to eliminate Caratol completely, along with his evidence. And that's exactly what was done. Inspector, we just passed the spot where John Slater's body was found. Well, then heads up, Mr. Dalton. It's only a few hundred yards now. Uh, tell me this, Inspector. Have you also discovered how the thing was done? Oh, yes. But I'm in the unfortunate position of not being able to prove it. And what do you think it's going to prove if the same thing happens to us? Oh, that. Well, I forgot to mention that there are 20 agents of Scotland Yard concealed in the coach behind us. They're specially selected, armed with rifles, and are there for the express purpose of making sure the same thing does not happen to us. We're slowing down, Inspector Collins. Well, I think this is it. Slowing down? Why? We're leaving the main line. But we can't leave the main line. There's no siding here. Oh, yes, there is. There's the spur track to the Hartsey's colliery. But it's abandoned. There's no connection to the main line. The rails were taken away years ago. Ordinarily, you'd be right, Mr. Bland, but at the moment, there's an excellent switch installed at the main line and also a very serviceable set of rails connecting it with the old track. We're travelling over them now, as a matter of fact. Have you seen anything, Mr. Dalton? Not yet, sir. The train is being manned, incidentally, by Scotland Yard agents. I took the liberty of holding the regular crew in the coach behind us until we could find out which of them has been bought off, which scheduled to end up like John Slater. But I must confess, Inspector, I... look. Men are coming out of the bushes behind us. They're already starting to pull up the rails. You see, Mr. Bland, in 15 minutes you'll be right again. There'll be no connection between the hard seas siding and the main line. Yes. Yes, I see now. By heaven, I never Mr. would Mr. Bland, it won't do any good to try to signal with that pocket handkerchief. I'm... Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid I don't quite understand you, Inspector. Then perhaps you'll understand the fact that you're under arrest for the murder of Caratol, Gomez, and John Slater. Why, that's utterly ridiculous. Why, I... Why have we stopped? In order to permit it... Ah, there's your answer. I think that 20 agents of Scotland Yard should prove more than a match for your assistance. Your guesses are nothing less than preposterous, Inspector. What could I or anyone else gain by merely switching a train onto an abandoned siding? The other special, if you recall, disappeared. Ah, yes. Yes, so it did. And straight ahead of us, a mile and a half, if you recall, Mr. Bland, this spur ends at the Hartsey's mine shaft, one of the largest inclined shafts in this part of the country. According to the records, it used to be 900 feet deep. But upon investigating it last week, I found it closed off by a tremendous cave-in at 400 feet. Now tell me, Mr. Bland, was the cave-in caused by the explosion of the locomotive's boiler when it struck the bottom? Or did you dynamite the shaft after the train went into it? You've no proof of any of this and no evidence whatsoever against me. Your train crew and the coach behind us have all signed statements. And I think we'll get a good deal more evidence from the men who are being rounded up out there now. I... I have nothing further to say. Well, there's nothing you can say, Mr. Bland. We've seen your bank account with those mysterious and heavy entries which are dated about the time the special disappeared, which I'm sure we shall be able to trace to certain French sources. We've succeeded in tracing down McPherson and Smith, the fireman and conductor you bribed to vanish. Too bad you couldn't bribe Slater, the engineer, because his death was most unfortunate. You see, his body furnished us with our first clue... Yes, Mr. Bland. Without Slater's body, we might really have thought that the lost special had disappeared into thin air. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented The Lost Special by Conan Doyle, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Inspector Collins was Ben Wright, and the featured players were Parley Bear, John Daner, Edgar Berrier, Larry Dobkin, and Paul Fries. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You are aboard the Orient Express, rushing through the European night bound for Constantinople. And in your compartment with you, a gun pointed at your head, a small, mysterious foreigner is about to take your life.
Next week, we escape with Graham Greene's exciting novel of intrigue, Orient Express. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week when CBS again offers you Escape! For more adventures, seek it out with two top CBS shows tonight. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters, both regular Saturday features on most of the same CBS network stations. Be sure to hear them tonight. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.